Are you looking for your next wine challenge? Do you want to taste more than 300 wines in 4 days? How about joining a community of passionate, qualified Italian wine specialists and gaining one of the most coveted qualifications in the wine world? Apply now to the Vinitaly International Academy and you'll have all this at your fingertips. Pedro Ballesteros, Master of Wine, says VIA is the only Italian wine program that delivers high-quality training and serious exams. More details on our website www.vinitalinternational.com Italian Wine Podcast Cin Cin with Italian Wine People Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast with me, Monty Walden. My guest today is Jonas Royerman, Master of Wine. Jonas is the Head of Product Quality at the Assortment and Purchasing Department for the Swedish Monopoly. The, how do you say that? The Systembolaget. Okay, and just say your name in, in how you would say it normally. Jonas Royerman. Jonas Royerman. Yes. Okay. Um, thanks for coming in. No so what, what is the role of a Head of Product Quality... What yeah. do you do? Uh, what does that mean? Systembolaget, that might, might sound as I work with uh, the standards and certifications and all these things. I actually don't. And since Systembolaget doesn't have their own bottling facility or anything like that, my work is mainly or 100% focused on making sure that since we have a tendering system on joining the assortment or getting onto the shelf, my main focus is to make sure that what's tendered with us on paper on, and, and on sensory values is what's coming up on the shelf in the shop. Lots of steps in between, but that's my main focus, making sure that the quality is there on what's in the package. Okay, so when you say quality, that's a multi-headed hydra. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you mean? You just about, you just taste the wine and say, oh, that tastes all right. Or are you actually doing analyses and things like that? And also provenance. You know, is this wine really from, I don't know, yeah. Tuscany? Yes. Do, so go on. Do, do all those things. So you're a bit of a detective then? Yeah, I'm, I'm the bad cop at, at Systembolag at our importers thing, so yeah. So what's a typical day for you then? Ooh. You wake, wake up, put your holster on, load, yeah. load, put some bullets in the, in the yeah. gun and then yeah. find out those bad boy producers yeah. that are uh, yeah. cheating, yeah? Joke aside, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it is, <laughs> is it, sometimes it is a bit like that. It's an interesting industry uh, system, uh, or, or the wine industry is, is quite interesting. But the main thing is Systembolag is the monopoly on the market, so we are the sole sort of retailer of alcoholic beverages. So our purchasing process and, and, and fairness of the game has to be crucially fair to all our importers. Okay, so so importers in Sweden, they can only get wine on the shelf going via the monopoly. Yes. So what's your your role, obviously, is, is making sure that the wine is exactly as it said is. Mm-hmm. Does that involve a lot of travel or are you solely based in Sweden or a bit of both? Both. So both. go on. So really start on the process when we uh, when we do our, our that's, and that's the reason why I'm here at in Verona, uh, our tender tasting. It's, it's judged on sensory profiles. So you, you have to fulfill that. And then we say, that, yeah, this is the best one that we're looking for in that sort of style of wine. So, so you may have, you may be looking for, I don't know, let's say a say Chianti Classico or something. Yeah. So you have a, a blind tasting of producers that have want to try and get their wine into the yeah. monopoly system. Yeah. And a sensory analysis is a wine tasting. Yes. And you presumably got chemical analyses of the wine as well, their alcohol, acidity, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and so the tasting is, is run by a panel of three members. And I'm in charge for the training and, and the overall charge of the, and the tasting panel, making sure that they're actually good at what they do. Uh, so I'm also involved in how we make the descriptions on, on the tender tastings, uh, the 
profiles. Basically, that's run by our purchasers, our buyers. But I'm sort of coordinating the language to see that it's 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 according to that it's actually workable when you come to the tasting session. So I'm overseeing pan- panels, the tasting, the training. When we do buy bigger volumes, and for us that's 100,000 liters plus for six months, I actually also do straight after the tasting I go to the producer and make sure that yes the wine is there and it's it's owned by the right persons it's we ask for details on on grape varieties which tank you have your wine in so what I do I go in and ask them to open the book open the books and I go through the process from the grapes arriving all the steps through the winemaking and now they tell us it's in tank 10a then I'll look at the process and then I go out to the tank and I'll actually open the lid and make sure that the wine is there. Really? Uh, it's so that, that thorough? It's that thorough on our what we call the high-risk high tenders, which in, in a year is like 25 to 30. And all we do auditing, do auditing on those. Uh, so traveling, yes, about 60, 60, 70 days a year. So we won't name any high-risk areas, but can you give me a general example of, of what a high-risk... What would make a high-risk wine a high-risk wine? The basis volume, because we, we, we do the tender tasting, and it's I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's fairly easy to make a, a bit better sample than you actually can have manage. Have a tank, yeah. And yeah, I, okay. I usually you have the example that, yeah, you did the tender sample and you won, and then you you had that 20,000 liters of pretty thin Merlot that you had to blend in to make it financially viable, and, and then it's not the same wine anymore. Uh, so uh, that's why we do it on the high, that's why it's high risk, so scaling it up from nine liters, which might be the tender sample size, to 400,000 liters, that's, that's a bit tricky. Did uh, you use any, um, I mean, scientific diagnostic tools to see if, um, say, a wine from even outside of Italy has ended up in an Italian wine? Yeah, we don't have that technique yet. What we have is, it's, so it's two legs, it's the sensory values, and then we have our own lab. So I have seven uh, chemists that run our labs, and we do all our own analysis, and it's accredited lab, so, and we only specialised in, in beverages, mainly wine. So, 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 just so we have that chemical footprint as well from the start. Together with the audits, I think we're pretty, pretty good at saying that, yes, at least when we did the audit, the wines were there and it was all, all right. And, and again, like for an example, a big tender could be 120 samples. I would have 119 losers. And for the fairness of the game and the transparency of the system blogger, we actually have to go and do these audits. Hopefully in the future, the, our suppliers will do the audits themselves. But regarding actually getting what we was tendered with, we have to do it still. How do you write to the people, you know, the 118 that didn't make it, dear wine producer, I'm terribly sorry to tell you your wine didn't yeah. qualify this yeah, time? Well, it's, a, it's a standard sort of email that yeah. goes out if you're not successful in the tasting. Do you ever get any feedback? Oh, yeah. Our purchasers get feedbacks. And, and, and any rude and, words? And in most the... in the way that, okay, we were out on this one, quality points-wise. What can we do and what did I miss? Rather than being very angry, I would say. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's been people that been yeah, angry sure. all the time. So, yeah. So I mean, you can say we like the wine, but we felt that this red was a little bit green, the tannins were a bit green, or something like that. So yeah, sort of constructive. Yeah. If if the if if the purchaser wants to give the time and do a bit of feedback, they they usually do. So has uh, it have you have you had cases where you've you've given a little bit of advice and said, look, we we really liked it, but it wasn't. You just missed out because of one little thing that we. And then a couple of years later, they actually get one through, and, and are they like. You know, we took your advice and we're so happy that we now got a tender through and we're in, the, in your 
your market? Or was it less personal than that? Yeah, I would say it's less personal than that. But again, the style profile that we describe on our tenders, if you're a good importer, you is because it's always in Swedish. And over time, asking and, and questions about why didn't that work and so forth uh, with the with the purchaser, you will you will gain knowledge on on, on that. And it's not it's not like there's a secret code in any way. It, it's pretty straightforward, I would say. I mean, and again, I understand if an importer has a producer in let's use the Chianti example, and we were asking for a fairly modern style Chianti with perhaps a bit overtones of oak and you work with an, a producer in, in, in Chianti that is very traditional in its way making it and he would read that or she would read that tender and say yes I'm a Chianti classical producer or a Chianti producer please tender with my wine and the, the importer will maybe struggle to say no I don't want to tender with your wines because it's totally wrong style so they might end up sending it in anyway just for the keeping the good relationship with the producer. And then we taste it, and uh, that's too sniff and a sip, and we'll say, this is not what we're looking for. So it will score badly. And sadly enough, that producer will have that feedback. No, it didn't, didn't work. Yeah, we did tell you. Yeah, yeah in, in the description. Yeah. Uh, so that sometimes happened, and uh, I can understand that producer gets a bit annoyed by that. Well, I mean, they were told, though, you know, if you give us a slightly old-style oaky wine that's yeah. quite evolved, yeah. this is we want something that's fresh yeah. and fruity, and yeah. you, you send it in and it doesn't get through. So well, look, we yeah. did tell you. It's not yeah. like we didn't. No, no. We were pretty clear. We wrote to you, and it was in black and white. We, we are very transparent and yeah. very clear. Yeah. Then it's a fearsome competition, yeah. but that's that's on any market, I would say. Okay, so what are Swedes drinking, and in what volumes and what with food on its own at home, in restaurants? How does it work? Well, if if a fair bit of wine is consumed at home, yeah, absolutely. Um, the restaurant side, as far as I know, it's thriving at the moment. It's going very very well. So a fair bit of the niche, really niche products ends up on restaurants. Uh, so how would you? List. A, a niche product would be what, like natural wine or? Yeah, we feature natural wines as well, but some of the really smaller importers in Sweden they mainly work through the restaurant in in the bigger cities in Sweden like Stockholm, Gothenburg, and Malmo. Yeah, so but we we have them as well. But not to the extent that if you're a specialized nat- natural wine importer, you, you only deal with that. So, so in terms of um, what's the monopoly view for organic wine? Are you trying to focus on that or not? We, I would say that we've been a driving force to uh, to build that assortment uh, in, within our shops. So we had a, a goal that we will pass 10% in 2020. And I think that's almost two years plus now since we actually achieved that goal. So... If I remember correctly, we're up to 13, almost 14% of our uh, uh, offering is is organic. So to give everybody an idea that globally, uh, roughly about 5% of the global wine grape vineyard is organic. So you're kind of three times ahead of, mm. yeah. of what's happening yeah. in the field. And it's it's funny, we, we, we drove it in the sense that they, were, they had priority in, in the evaluation of the assortment and so forth. And we kept on putting out the tenders. And today, it's at one stage, it just took off. So it doesn't need any extra support today. It's it's a strong strong uh, factor for sales in Sweden. So what can happen sometimes with organic wines, which I've heard in, in by the Canadian monopoly, is you know some residual sprays that were sp- sprayed maybe twenty or even thirty years ago, residues of that can still end up in an organic wine. Do you do tests on that to see um, if people have been cheating or not? 
we don't have, we can't run pesticides on our own laboratory, yet we do projects around that. So once a year at least we do send samples and, and uh, look at that. And sometimes we have some negative results, on things that's supposed to be organic. Quite recently we found out there was a European slash Spanish producer that actually had uh, residuals in his organic, uh, their organic wine. We did an inv investigation and it's, it's ended up like they stopped that because they had to rebuild the winery because it was transmitted during uh, during handling both conventional and organic wines in there. So that's a error at the at the winery, but uh, that's one thing that we found in our in our studies. So yes, we, that, yes, we do it, but on a limited scale. But in that case, you know, obviously they've made a they haven't cleaned a tank properly or something, yeah. which yeah. is you know already dumb. Yeah. Um, but they weren't actually doing anything like anything kind of illegal. But are they still welcome back or do they have like a yellow card against them or something or No, we are very there's a we are very uh, there's a cartoon in in Sweden called Bamse and he's he's so strong that he has to be so kind. And sometimes I think the monopoly we are we are very forgiving and yes the producer will absolutely be be welcome back. And that's part of being a monopoly. We, we can't we can't pick and choose who we actually make business with. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, some people may disagree with me, may even disagree with you. But you know, it wasn't like he, the producer, or she did it deliberately. They were just maybe did something a bit, you know, they were a little bit lackadaisical. Again, some people disagree with me, but yeah, it's yeah. nice that you're giving them a second chance. I, I guess yeah. if it happens again, then you say, listen, buddy, we've, we've warned you once, and now. Mm. Yeah, we have a in our agreement with the suppliers. We have a, a protocol that we actually can reject if they have repeatedly have quality problems with us. What are the trends, I mean, away from your, away from your day job, um, obviously you travel around a lot. What are your favorite um, regions, particularly in, in Italy? <laughs> Don't worry, you won't get marked on this. It's like, you know, you like what places, places that you like physically, as in the landscape or the, the wine styles. You as, you as a consumer, just a normal, regular guy. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a regular just guy. Just pretend that you are. Yeah, I'm hard to <laughs> pretend that. Yeah, Italy, uh, I've seen a bit too little of the southern parts of Italy, I would say, too. They don't get on to to be part of the, my judgment, but of course I, I like many others love the Piemonte and the uh, the picturesque Barolo and, and that part of the world. It's it's pretty amazing actually. So, so what's a, when you're at home and you happen to have a bottle of Barolo or Barbaresco on the table? What is a dish, a local dish that you would your favourite sort of dish with the family? Then I would ask my wife to make a risotto, no. of course. Ah, risotto, <laughs> okay. risotto yeah. with chanterelles. With a little bit of with chanterelles. Yeah. And an, and a, um, are you vegetarian? No. Okay. So what about um, a carnivorous dish with um, Barolo or Barbaresco? Uh, what's a typical dish in Sweden then? Oh, typical dish. That's. Uh, Tacos. That's a very traditional no. Swedish dish on on Friday. <laughs> Fridays. Really? Yeah. I'm not. I'm, we're not doing it, but quite a lot of people do actually. Have as a standard Friday tacos. So there are taco bars in in uh, Stockholm. Or? No, you, that, you, that's a version, Swedish version that you do at home. And the meat would be from where? From what would it would it be? That would be minced minced meat. So yeah. beef. Yeah, beef. Okay. Yeah. And uh, free very, time. Very very Swedish. Yeah. Version of of tacos. I would say. Okay. Yeah. And if you and did you, what's your favorite holiday destination? If you have like a probably, probably don't have a huge amount of holiday but if you had to just have a, like a beach holiday in Italy where would you end up you can't go to Piemonte there are no beaches have, have no experience of the beaches oh. of Italy I'm afraid okay most of the beaches would be fine yeah you probably don't have a lot of time when you're traveling as well no 
So where's your next trip? Next trip is to Australia, but that's private <laughs> over on your New Year's Next Eve. work trip. Next work trip is uh, going to Austria. Okay. In January. The next trip to Italy? Uh, it's not planned yet. Okay. No. Alrighty. Yeah. What about your family? I mean, you, uh, when you're at home, do you have wine every evening, or do you sometimes have a beer or a grappa or, or spirits? Well, absolutely, don't have any wine every day, but uh, a couple of days a week. Of course, at the weekend, very rarely do I drink spirit. Okay. Yeah. But in terms of like wine, what's your beer? Is summer might have a beer on summer. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, if you're having like a rich meal and you need a red wine from Italy, what what would what would you gravitate towards? Any well-balanced, high-quality... Oh, you are such a diplomat. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Has to be, yeah. Okay. All right, I'm going to see if I can pronounce your name properly again. I want to say thanks to my guest today, Jonas Royaman, Master of Wine, Head of Product Quality Assortment and Purchasing Department from Sweden, the Monopoly System, Systembolaget. 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 And um, thanks for coming in. Yep. and sharing us, with us your insights about the, the mechanics of getting wine from a foreign country into your market. Thank You're you very welcome. much. Thanks. Right. Super. Thanks a lot. And that brings us to the close of yet another Italian wine podcast interview. Before we conclude, we'll check in with Vinitaly International Academy Chief Scientist Attilio Scienza for our segment, Everybody Needs a Bit of Scienza. Via Community... Please send in your questions for the professor to answer on air. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Everybody needs a bit of Shinsa segment to um, Italian Wine Podcast. So this is when we get a question from the VIA community, um, and we ask Professore, our chief scientist, Attilio Shinsa, directly. So today we have a very long-winded question from uh, non è questo il um, è Franco Zhang um, from China. I, I forget what part of Chinese from um, Italian wine promotion and education in China. And he asked. He sent a very long-winded question of pages and pages and streams of paper, but um, we have kind of. Um, distilled it in the following way. So um, he makes a reference to the law of number 82.06, Article 2, and number 238-2016, Article 6, um, which are two um, laws specifically used to describe international varieties. And his question is... um, can Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot be used up to 10% in Valpolicella blend? Rispondiamo un po' alla volta. Ok, so prima domanda. Questa era quella domanda. Ma io ho fatto la cosa unica, la risposta è la stessa. Allora, ok, allora ti faccio anche altre domande. Um, so then his second question more or less is some other Italian varieties also used in Valpolicella brand such as Sangiovese which is listed in the Amessia la Coltivazione per la Provincia di Verona, uh, di qui al Registro Nazionale della Varietà di Viti Approvato. So he's, he's doing his homework. So which rule applies to Sangiovese? What is the maximum usage? Should, be, uh, should it be Sangiovese plus Oseletta up to 
15% or Sangiovese plus Cabernet Sauvignon plus Merlot up to 10%. Then he goes on, there are still some varieties used by wineries but not listed in the above table, such as Nebbiolo blended in Giuseppe Quintarelli. So which regulation is applied to Nebbiolo? Same as Sangiovese? If Nebbiolo can be used in Valpolicella blend, does that mean any other variety also can be used, such as Primitivo or Nero Davola, etc.? Et um, it's kind of all over the place. I hope um, Shinsa has understood the question. Te hai capito la domanda? Sì. Ok, vai allora. Uh. Le varietà internazionali come il Cabernet e il Merlot e il Sangiovese eh, sono compresi tra i vitigni autorizzati alla coltivazione nella provincia di Verona e possono quindi essere utilizzati fino al 25% per produrre i vini DOC di OCG della Valpolicella. L'ultima modifica di disciplinare è della fine del 2019 che ha eh, soprattutto modificato i rapporti tra la percentuale di corvina e di corvinone. Nel vecchio disciplinare del 2016 si poteva usare il 50% di corvinone, ora si può usare dal 45-95%, quindi hanno direi dato la possibilità di fare quasi un vino di arpolicella con il 95% del corvinone. Perché questa modifica? Perché ci si chiede come mai improvvisamente dopo tantissimo tempo in cui era la corvina il vitigno direi, ideale per fare il corvinone, per fare il lamarone, per la sua capacità di, di esprimere dei geni eh, durante l'appassimento, dei geni di qualità durante l'appassimento, classifica che non hanno molti vitigni, solo la corvina, ma anche il corvinone che è imparentato con la corvina ce l'ha. Beh, la modifica è stata data in parte dal cambio climatico. Corvinone è una varietà che ha un acino molto più grosso e purtroppo eh, nelle annate molto calde la corvina che viene messa in appassimento ha dei tempi di appassimento troppo rapidi e quindi esce da quelli che sono i tempi del disciplinare, il quale prevede l'appassimento per un certo tempo. Se questi qua però appassiscono prima, di quell'uva appassita non rimane niente. Allora il corvinone si presta molto meglio a questo, perché è un acido molto più grosso, quindi perde meno acqua, si concentra di meno, o si concentra nello stesso modo ma in tempi molto più lunghi e quindi mantiene una maggiore freschezza. C'è un altro aspetto non, non trascurabile, che è quello della tolleranza all'esca. La corvina è un vitigno molto sensibile all'esca, che sta facendo delle stragi nei vigneti dell'arpolicella. Il corvinone è meno sensibile, quindi è un vitigno più resistente. Qual è la tendenza in sostanza? Beh, la tendenza è di utilizzare praticamente quasi solo i vitigni veronesi, cioè di non usare più i vitigni internazionali, che sono eh, il retaggio di una vecchia viticoltura. Cioè i vecchi vigneti di, per l'ammarone o per il palpolicello o per il ripasso avevano all'interno molte varietà, si coltivava anche Teroldico, si coltivava anche Croatina, eh, Cavernefran, Cavernefran, Sauvignon. 
erano consentito questa cosa fino al 25%. Adesso non si può, si può fare ancora, ma il produttore di, di Valpolicella preferisce usare Corvina, Corvinone, ecco la Grondinella che rimane sempre un vitigno importante e eh, si usa di nuovo la Molinara che è un vitigno che è stato abbandonato e l'Oseveta. Ecco, questi saranno in futuro ormai le varietà che saranno utilizzate quasi esclusivamente per fare il, la marone, anche se dico è possibile utilizzare anche eh, vitigni internazionali o comunque vitigni diversi da quelli veronesi. Uh, apprezzo molto questo, questa domanda, uh, anzi una serie di domande che ci uh, viene uh, mandato da Franco Zhang. Uh, perché uh, lui ha cercato in realtà, ha fatto il tentativo di approcciare consorsi e varie organizzazioni um, ma non ha avuto risposta quindi finalmente penso no, che io faccio parte del comitato eh, ed ero presente quando è stata fatta la modifica eh, quindi uh, ok <laughs> so um, we'll try to translate this for you Franco but finally you have an answer because he wrote to us saying I know this is a boring question and it doesn't have much market value but I have encountered this problem in my education experience in recent years in China. I tried to get the answer from different people um, and consortia, but um, wasn't successful. Um, perché lui dice che ha scritto um, sì, e sì, anche ma... a diverse persone con socio, ma senza successo, quindi finalmente, um, finalmente gli diamo qualche Beh, riscontro e contento. siamo molto contenti. E Franco, we really appreciate your passion um, in promoting Italian wine and let us know if we can be of um, help in any other way. Send your question to Professor Scienza. Like I said, everybody needs a bit of Scienza. And today, Franco Zhang needed a little bit of Scienza today. So that's it for now uh, for the segment. Everybody needs a bit of Scienza for Italian Wine Podcast. For the next time, until next time, alla prossima. Arrivederci. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Please like us and um, recommend to um, other people for um, Italian Wine culture and conversation keep that coming thank you very much ciao ciao ciao, ciao. adesso saluto per l'ultima volta per questa volta il nostro amico monti non ti disturbiamo più ti diamo no, ma no, sì che lo disturberemo più avanti. ma avanti non oggi per oggi sì. puoi andare a dormire sì, tranquillamente sì. verdi il tuo grande brunello ok Quindi. ciao monti ciao monti io non ho parole in più non ho discorsi in più Listen to all of our pods on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and on ItalianWinePodcast.com. Don't forget to send your tweets to at ItaWinePodcast. Podcast.